afternoon. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. We have got another amazing show. Would you believe it? It seems like every week we have an amazing Don't show. Don't we usually? We try I, to at least. What are, we're batting a thousand here, Cole. Yeah. And today is going to be a great show because we are going to be talking about theme parks and one theme park in specific, Disneyland. You may have heard of it. This little park. It's it's growing. It'll yeah, get there. I that's, guess. That's Crossed right. my radar a few times. Um, actually, we're going to be speaking with a BYU professor about an app he developed to help you have an even better experience at Disneyland and maybe, who knows, let you forget about how much you paid to get into the park. Wouldn't that be nice? Anyway, that, of course, we will be doing a movie review, sharing some of our best of the worst of 2018 at the movies. Last week, if you didn't catch it, we talked about our favorites of all 2018 movies. Now we're going to recap some of our not-so-favorites. We're not going to say the worst. We're going to say the best of the worst. Yeah. Okay? Because we talk about good. (laughs) And before we do that, though... As we do each and every week, we like to share with you the very best in entertainment news because we only like to shine a spotlight on the good. And we want to start with our wonderful producer, Mickey Randall, who's going to kind of give us a little bit of a recap of the Golden Globes, which happened this last Sunday. Right. Okay. so first question, did either of you actually watch the Golden Globes? Not live. I watched my Twitter on my phone as the Globes were happening. Fair. I did not watch it live. I looked up some clips after. But still, we've got some interesting results. We have Bohemian Rhapsody winning Best Drama. What? Which surprised me. There is a Best Musical or Comedy category in the Globes. (laughs) And it was a musical. And it was a musical. A musical biopic. That it won Best Drama for. Right. Interesting. So we're not sure why. The it's... Globes is notorious for not knowing what category to put things in. The Martian That's was a comedy, <laughs> etc. That's definitely true. Well, the winner of musical or comedy was Green Book, which I feel like is more of a drama than Bohemian Rhapsody was. Oh, absolutely. I'm surprised that wasn't a comedy. Yeah, they got those wrong. They needed to. I think they just switched the envelopes. They just went with it. They're like. Whatever. As Jeff often <laughs> says, you have to commit to your bit for it to work. And they just, they made the mistake and they just uh, went with it. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. You know, it'll be interesting to see what sort of Oscar nominations, if any, Green Book gets. Because it just seems like each and every day there's some new controversy that's coming out surrounding either the director or the screenwriter or the actors. That's true. They just can't win unless they're at the award season. They're kind of cleaning up. Right. They're winning there. So we'll see. I bet I get some acting nominations just based on the predictions that I've read. And the acting is quite good in that movie. I would agree. I really hope Mm -hmm. Viggo Mortensen gets nominated because he was that was one of my favorite performances. In fact, uh, and Mahershala Ali did win the Globe for Green Book, which I think was apt. And Rami Malek won Best Actor for playing uh, Freddie Mercury, Mercury. which I can agree with. I do not think out of the five nominees that Bohemian Rhapsody was the best drama this year, but what can you do? Might have been the best of the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Or the worst of the best. And I don't think Green Book was the best of the comedies, first of all, because it wasn't a comedy, but... uh, yeah, I Mary Poppins Returns, as you'll recall from our last week's show, was at the top of my list of the best of 2018. 
So, um, Cole, what about you? I, th- I, I understand you've got some news so as well. one of the hosts of the Golden Globes was Andy Samberg, along mm-hmm. with Sandra Oh, and he has a new show, sort of, back to television. <laughs> NBC had the very premiere episode of season six of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It is back, folks. And a couple of you tuned in. Uh, 3.6 million viewers, which... From what I remember, learning about ratings seems like a very, very low number. But in our 2019 streaming world, was up best ratings Brooklyn Nine-Nine's gotten in the past three years. And good enough that it'll probably keep going. I remember those single-digit numbers, especially for a premiere, that's more CW territory. Yeah, but yeah. Like nowadays. I, I guess, guess that's good, good enough for Thursday must-see TV on NBC. Especially for NBC. But speaking of NBC, like, I used to follow box office reports. I still do. And I would follow TV ratings as the well. The Nielsen, yeah. Every and Monday I would check it. Some of those older shows would have, like, dozens of millions. So that doesn't make any sense. In the dozens tens of millions. millions. Tens of Lots millions. Of yes. <laughs> Arrested Development never had uh, dozens of millions. No, which but is shows the like dozens Seinfeld and Friends just had huge numbers. Oh, yeah. Especially so, their season premiere. And especially this is a show that NBC's kind of been pushing up. If it doesn't get viewers now when it's the grand return of Brooklyn nine Right. That the people want it, it. Right. But when Fox canceled it, people were upset, and so it got picked up because there's like a big Twitter demand for Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah. But, I mean, we, of course, have to keep in mind that we just watch TV differently than we used to 10, 20 years ago. It's true. Uh, anything else, Cole? Well. Look, it's a bird. It's a plane. Uh, it's this week in DC News. More news? More news from the DC Universe. In fact, DC Universe has been playing new episodes of Young Justice, one of my favorite television shows. That was this week in DC News. So Young Justice, is that like uh, Judge Judy when she was in her youth? It is the Teen Titans team, pretty much. It had two pretty good seasons, but not enough people were watching, and so it got canceled, and the DC Universe streaming thing picked it up for a third season and it is back they're doing an interesting way of releasing their episodes they're a streaming platform netflix is a streaming platform they sometimes release a few shows one week at a time uh, and mostly they release things bingeable they release the whole season at a time dc's splitting the difference and they're releasing three episodes at a time so last week was the first week they released episodes one through three Today, they release episodes four through six, and we got some new new developments on the Batman front and on the ongoing story of what's going on with the metahuman trafficking. Um, then next week, we'll get three more episodes, and then the season concludes the following week. So in the okay. month of January, we're getting three plus three plus three plus four. Uh, we're getting thirteen episodes, a full 13-episode season, yeah. um, all in the span of one month, but drawn out over a month instead of all at once it's weird you know speaking of adolescent entertainment uh have you heard this little song yeah there it is baby shark you guys have heard this song before right i have heard baby shark before okay would it surprise you to know that baby shark is currently at number 32 on the billboard hot 100 list Number but 32. Why? Who's listening to it? So this is by Pink Fong, or at least this iteration of it is, and it edged out Ellie Goulding, 
Ariana Grande, Carrie Underwood, Nicki Minaj, Eminem. As we mentioned with the Nielsens, the way we rank and rate how people listen to things nowadays is much different than it was 10 years ago. Come on. The Billboard doesn't quite have the clout that it used to if... Baby Shark. I has see made it. you dancing behind the board there. <laughs> I you're, you're lying. You're move. lying to the people. And Mickey is like, you know, gluing her arms to the to the armrest because she can't help herself. From also, moving. not true. Come on, you guys. It's a weird <laughs> entertainment world in 2019, and you we're guys, here to cover it. Listen, once you'll have once you have kids, you'll understand why things like this are good. Baby Shark. I don't, you know, luckily I've never heard my kids <laughs> listening to it, but we've got plenty of other, you know, uh, earworm songs in my home that, uh, yeah, hopefully maybe I should The Wiggles this. never get to the Billboard Hot 100. You're talking about the That's Billboard. True. The Billboard. It used to mean something when you were number one and going up with a bullet and rising on the charts yeah. and now Baby Shark is there. I yeah. will say I have heard of people doing a Baby Shark workout. Maybe a reason why, hmm. like work out to the song, a Zumba ish thing, something like that. Okay. Yeah. Well, speaking of other things that we're not big fans of, <laughs> that's not a that's not a positive way to put a spin on this. Let, we tease that we are going to give you the best of the worst of 2018. Yes. So we shared with you our favorites of 2018. Last Here week, go check it out. That you know we they just didn't quite fit in our top. Uh, 50. Yeah. Cole, I'm curious to to hear if your uh, best of the worst is the same as my best of the worst. Because it's January, as you mentioned on last week's show and on many other shows. It's kind of the dump heap for movie season, right? Yes. You're not quite sure what to do with it. Uh, we're just going to write this one off so no one will go see it. We'll just put it in January. And a few of the movies at the bottom of my list were released in January or February, so it's been a year since I've even seen right. them. They've just been sitting on my I watched this list. The bottom most on my list would have to be Winchester. I Oof. saw it about a year ago yep. this time uh, last year, and that was a little redundant. Starring Helen Mirren, had a great premise, or at least they were the subject of it was very intriguing. This Winchester house that has all True these story. staircases that don't lead anywhere, like secret passageways, cool things like that. And it was a standard run-of-the-mill horrible horror film, completely forgettable. And that's why it's at the very bottom of my list. So I I do have something positive to say about most of mine. The bottom of my list is also a horror, and it started with a great potential. I am a huge horror fan, and so when I see a new PG-13 horror come out that I know I'm going to be able to talk about on screen cleaning, I get excited. Um, two years ago, it was Happy Death Day, and it ended up being one of my favorite movies of the whole year. Wow! Last year, the big PG-13 horror, which was based on an internet urban legend and and had a lot of potential to go places was Slenderman. Hmm. And it turned out to not live up to those expectations. I, and not even that I had expectations that it would be good, but it did have the potential. That story did not have to be a terrible movie. Um, the creepypasta, the way we tell stories nowadays, it's not say Bloody Mary in the mirror three times or say Beetlejuice three times. It is it is over the internet. And that's how Slender Man was born. And they could have done a couple cool things with it. And they never did. You know what else was a horror story in 2018? 
my efforts to become a slender man <laughs> uh. did not happen. You got maybe, a new year maybe for a new year. resolution. It is speaking of January. This is the time when people try to get into shape and then forget about it by the next month when they see a bucket of. Uh, Muddy Buddies. Just like most of the movies we watch during January, we forget about by right. the next month. So, again, I'm going to mention this again. This is something you'll appreciate when you guys have kids. But when you have kids, you tend to take them to pretty much any kid's movie that comes out in the movies, or at least I do. And there are mixed results. You just cross your fingers. Yes. For the best. And this was not one of those best experiences because it was a movie called Son of Bigfoot. <laughs> and... We all went to this movie theater to see it, and I think that it was back when this movie theater was offering like 2 or $3 tickets, something pretty cheap like that. And imagine my horror about 15 minutes into it when I decide I'm going to look this movie up. I realized this film had already come out on DVD by the time it went to the theaters. <laughs> so I had paid – uh, 10 or $12 to see this movie that I, we could have all watched comfortably from home and I could have walked out of and gone in and out of the room much easier for $1.50. So that kind of tainted the experience right off the bat. Plus, it just wasn't very good, as so many kids' movies are not these days. I've got a kids' movie on my list <gasps> as well. Okay. So last January, a beloved British storybook character was brought to life in a live-action movie with an animated character. Mm-hmm. It was Paddington 2, and we all loved it here Absolutely. in Screen Cleaning. In February, a different British storybook character went to the live-action world of movies, and it was Beatrix Potter's Peter Rabbit. Sony put together a movie voiced by James Corden, and it was less than good. There are some parts of that movie that are kind of like the cinematic equivalent to Baby Shark. It (laughs) It was ridiculous. It's like you took... You had Paddington and crossed it with Mouse Hunt and took all the worst parts of each movie. It tried to do these slapstick rabbit versus human funny things that were never funny. And it was just kind of mean-spirited for a kid's movie, which is definitely what Paddington was not. Sure. So, Cole, with our last three picks, I just want us to kind of rattle them off. Uh, My next one would be Fantastic Beasts, Crimes of Grindelwald. It wasn't a movie I was planning on seeing, but ended up seeing... Because the movie I went to see, uh, there were technical difficulties. I remember that day. And I was a bit bored, let's just say. (laughs) Hotel Transylvania 3, again, another kid's movie that you're going to see it if you have kids. They need to stop making these films. They're just painfully unfunny. There were certain elements of the first one that were clever, but it's just old by now. And then my last one would be Robin Hood, the Taron Egerton or Egerton uh, and Jamie Foxx starring vehicle. Was originally called Robin Hood Origins. Really? Gritty new Robin Hood story. I didn't know that. Yeah, they just need to stop making these movies too. <laughs> what about yours, Cole? So I've my other three not as good movies were Cloverfield 3, The Cloverfield Paradox. Mm-hmm. Again, a lot of potential. I was really invested in this series, especially after 10 Cloverfield Lane. They had a really cool way they released it to Netflix during the Super Bowl, advertising like, hey, it's there right now. Go see it. Um, and then the movie itself was just terrible. Uh, <laughs> also, I Feel Pretty, which I is... do too. <laughs> Thank oh, you. the movie. Okay. I, I do, but the movie <laughs> wasn't as good. And finally, Venom, which 
<gasps> at times was so bad that it could have been good, but I was watching it at home alone. If I had been in a group of with a group of friends watching this and we were all making fun of it at the same time, it might have been a good viewing experience. So it's not necessarily always a bad movie if you want to go check it out, but it's a bad movie just as a movie. Is it sad that Venom was a lot higher on my list than it was on yours? Well, I have Crimes of Grindelwald somewhere in the middle of mine. I mean, Venom's not – it's not uh, It's not a great movie. Let's not kid ourselves. But I actually kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, it, like Despite I said – Despite the fact that Tom Hardy was terrible Depending in it. on the mood that you're in, it yeah. could be so bad that it's good. Okay. Let's talk about a movie that's out this weekend that is much better than any of these films that we just mentioned. All right. And it's called The Upside. You may have heard of it. It stars Brian Cranston and Kevin Hart. And in this film, Brian Cranston is a quadriplegic billionaire who is in need of a new caregiver or carer. I had never heard of that term before, carer. I saw this movie three years ago. It's called Me Before You. Well, it's also a remake of the – I believe it's a French film, The Untouchables, which is a remake. They're just – it's already like the fifth remake of Billionaire this. quadriplegic needs some help and right. hilarity ensues. And he turns to a recent parolee played by Kevin Hart who kind of just lucks into this job. He thinks he's going to interview for like a janitor job. He really just wants the signature that he can turn into his parole officer so that he can say that he tried to he look for work. He needs a job. Right, right. And it kind of made me think of Green Book in a way. It's it's a movie about relationships. And I can't tell you how refreshing it is. I said the same thing for Green Book. To go into a movie like this and not have to see any CGI, no big explosions, no superheroes or supervillains, which is the majority of the fare that's out there right now. And to just focus on a character-driven movie that is kind of this – buddy drama that also has some really funny parts just like Green Book in it. Now, it's not as good as Green Book, and unfortunately, this movie may be remembered for more of the controversy that's surrounding it more than for the movie itself. It's no secret that Kevin Hart has been in the news a lot lately for some tweets that he he put out like 10 years ago, and he's, Willie, won't he host the Oscars? By the way, I don't think he is. I think he said it's 100% not happening. And then Brian Cranston is being criticized for for playing a quadriplegic, and why isn't somebody that actually is a quadriplegic playing that role? And you know, he said, "I'm I'm willing to have this discussion, but it probably had a lot to do with box office returns, and they probably wanted to put somebody who's a name in this film. Uh, they're fun to watch on the screen; they have a chemistry to them." And unfortunately, the script that they're dealt is really not all that great. The characters are not well fleshed out. There's clunky dialogue, and some of the gags are really tired. Seriously, how many times do we have to see somebody use marijuana and then go on like this laugh-ridden, you know, joyride where they're eating a lot of food? It's been done many, many times before. However, it is definitely worth a trip to the Red Box, and I think this is the type of movie that we really need and that audiences want. There was a pretty full house last night when I saw it, and everybody was having a great time. So there you go. There is an option for this weekend, The Upside. And as we go to commercial, Rod Gustafson is going to give us another option 
for a film based on a real person. Again, another film based on a true story. It's been out for a little bit, but it's hit a wider release this weekend. Check it out. Ruth Bader Ginsburg's fight with cancer has been a big news feature lately and will likely pique audience interest in the new movie On the Basis of Sex. Now, this film focuses on one of Ginsburg's earlier fights, her determination to become a lawyer at Harvard and be accepted into a school that highly discriminated against women. It's a tough road made even more challenging after her husband Marty is diagnosed with cancer in the late 1950s. Finally, achieving her law degree after moving with her husband to New York City and attending Columbia Law School, Ginsburg's next challenge is to find a firm who will hire a woman. Disappointed, she finally accepts a teaching position, and, as fate would have it, that sets her up to be in the perfect place to argue a landmark gender discrimination case in 1972. On the Basis of Sex holds no surprises if you're already familiar with Ginsburg's career. It is a solid movie with great performances from Felicity Jones, who plays Ginsburg, and Army Hammer, who plays her loving husband, Marty. It gleans its PG-13 rating from a sexual expletive and some smoking. Young children will certainly be bored, but those who admire this tenacious Supreme Court judge will likely find this film engaging. At the very least, it informs us on a relevant piece of history that is highly pertinent today. For Screen Cleaning, I'm Rod Gustafson. Chances are you've been to Disneyland before, but have you really fully experienced it? Well, BYU professor Benjamin Thevenin noticed that most Disneyland patrons love to ride the rides, but often they neglect the history and culture that the theme park holds. So he gathered an expert team of BYU students and professors and created Dark Ride Disneyland. It's an augmented reality app, think Pokemon Go, that helps you not only learn about Disneyland and the history that surrounds it, but also have fun and play games as you work to defeat the evil pirates threatening to take over the park. Professor Thevenin joins us here in the studio today. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. Thanks, Jeff. I'm happy to be here. I am very intrigued by this. But before we get to the app itself, I just want to know, somebody that does a project like this has got to have a love of all things Disney. And I'm wondering, how much do you love Disneyland and where and when did it all start? You know, I uh, I grew up like I think most people in our community watching uh, Disney movies. I grew up in the South, so we visited Disney World uh, off and on when I was growing up. And now as an adult, I've had a chance to, living out here in the West, visit Disneyland and, um, and you know, share the Disney movies I liked as a kid with my own children. And so, uh, so yeah, I, I, have, I have an appreciation for Disney. Um, I, I think the story I often tell about the, the kind of origins of this project is that a few years back, I was attending a conference where I was speaking about uh, how we can teach young people to kind of think about media more critically. The conference was it was in L.A., so on that same trip, I went with my wife to Disneyland and, you know, rode the rides and ate the turkey legs. And that's where the idea kind of came from is like, oh, that's really interesting that as a scholar, I'm uh, trying to help people think more about, uh, you know, the stories that are being told by Disney and others. 
But then when I go into that park, man, I'm not. That's the last thing on my mind. I'm going in there and just uh, eating it all up. And so, you know, it's interesting. Many would say that you've already had the full Disney experience because you've actually eaten the turkey leg. Uh, you know, I, I think that that is a necessary part of it. Isn't it's it? required. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. So explain to us, before we get into the app itself, explain to us what augmented reality is. I've never played Pokemon Go. The only thing I know about it is back when it was super popular, I would see random people outside my house at all sorts of hours of the night. <laughs> like just following their phone. That's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, augmented reality is uh, a kind of a new technology that creates a digital layer on top of the, our real life. And so when you look through the, uh, the phone's screen, you can see characters or other kind of environments um, on top of, you know, your front yard or whatever, wherever you happen to, happen to be. So in Pokemon Go, you're discovering these little characters. Um, it's, it's similar in our game as well. We're looking through our phone at the park around us, but finding kind of hidden clues, hidden characters that are going to take us on these quests throughout the park. Okay. So that is so exciting. So you, you mentioned a little bit about the backstory of, of how you came up with the idea, but talk to us about the process of where, where exactly the idea came from and how it was developed from there. So um, having this thought, you know, how can we encourage people that are in Disneyland, for example, to pay more attention to the stories being told around them? And so I took this idea to uh, some of my um, colleagues at the Media Arts Department here at BYU, Jeff Parkin. Um, is a, a film producer that's directed and produced a number of films and other kind of game projects. He loved the idea. We brought on some uh, other BYU faculty, some uh, uh, some profession, media professionals, and a team of students to, to develop this idea, which eventually became Dark Ride Disneyland. And, and the idea is that the game is something you play in the park in which you kind of uncover the the schemes of this band of pirates as they're taking over. But as you uh, navigate the game and go throughout the park on these different quests, you're also pointed to some kind of subtext, right? Some like hidden messages within the park about what is it saying about uh, other people, other cultures, or what is it saying about American history and things like that. And so over the course of a few semesters, we developed uh, the game with a group of about 20 students. Um, students coming from film backgrounds and computer programming and game development and advertising. And they all pitched in. We went to the uh, park a number of times to do research Poor and to guy. test the game. I know it's a tough, <laughs> it's a tough process, right? To, uh, to have to do your work in Disneyland. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so ultimately what's come out of it is this, uh, this fun little game. So what parts of the park are included in the app? So uh, we are introduced to our kind of uh, guide throughout the park, who's his name is Baudrillard the Parrot. And he's kind of this mutinous parrot that is once sided with the pirates and is now is kind of guiding you on this quest to confront the pirates and, and uh, to challenge them. We meet him at the center of the park in the hub. And throughout the, the game, we visit the, the four kind of primary lands, Tomorrowland, Frontierland, Adventureland. And then eventually we face off with this Captain Lafitte, the leader of this band of pirates in Fantasyland for the conclusion of the game. Was there any – you mentioned that you, you took a team of students to Disneyland a number of times. Was there any one particular part or anything uh, inside Disneyland that was really kind of a treasure trove of inspiration for you guys? Well, you know, uh, the great thing about Disneyland is that it's such a beautifully designed place that there's – 
that there's details kind of just sprinkled throughout the park that for us, those of us looking for opportunities to kind of create these scavenger hunts and to help people see kind of the undiscovered corners of the park, there's plenty of that to, to, be, to be explored. If you've gone to Disneyland and just waited in the lines and, and, uh, and rode the rides, you're missing like a, actually a quite a bit. So, so for example, um, I think our students had a lot of fun in Adventureland. That, that, that land is, uh, houses, you know, the Indiana Jones ride and the Jungle Cruise, but it is covered with kind of these interesting little artifacts from various cultures. And so students had a lot of fun kind of figuring out what are these things that are decorating the park? Like, where are they coming from? How could we weave them into this game as kind of little Easter eggs to, to help the, the, the players kind of recognize like their value? What are some of the, the little tidbits of information that you're most excited for visitors to Disneyland to find out? Well, one thing that we really enjoyed is that um, uh, our, so, so we chose the, the villain for the game, Captain Lafitte, because he actually has quite a presence already within the park. Um, Jean Lafitte was a real pirate. Um, that uh, is kind of weaves its way through American history in all these different interesting ways, like w- new Davy Crockett and Andrew Jackson, and oh, wow. kind of interacted with these kind of famous American figures. And then um, uh, Walt Disney's own kind of love for American history is shown in the fact that he includes references to Lafitte and other historical figures throughout the park. So since opening day, there's actually been an anchor, uh, supposedly from Lafitte's ship, on display in the park. Um, his name is on a sign above for, uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean dock as you get on to the oh, ride. Wow. Um, his tavern, it's called Lafitte's Tavern, is on Tom Sawyer's Island. And so uh, we're, we're hoping to kind of already just kind of capitalize on the cool references that are already within the park, um, like, like those of uh, Lafitte. What would you say is your favorite part of the app? My favorite part of the app? You know, that's uh, that's I, th- I think a cool thing that we're able to do with augmented reality is this cool like overlap of physical and digital things. Right. And so um, there's uh, a few scavenger hunts you go on the in the app. For example, the one in Frontier- Frontierland, we're. You, uh, we're, um, uh, we meet Sacagawea, the famous Native yeah. American, um, you know, leader. And she says, you know, there's, there's, there used to be a greater presence of Native Americans within Frontierland, um, but for some reason they've been kind of erased. And so uh, can you help me find these artifacts that are reminiscent of our, our cultures? And so uh, using your phone screen, you're able to like f- these find these, uh, these visual clues and then f- in the park, locate the actual artifacts and learn about like what's the significance of the snowshoe or the tomahawk or these different kind of Native American artifacts. And it's it's directly as a result of us being able to use that cool AR technology um, in the game to like discover these important his, uh, historical and kind of cultural uh, things within the park. It's pretty cool. What have you done? Are, are there any like safety concerns, you know, with people glued to their phone trying to walk around the park and not necessarily <laughs> looking where they're going? You know, that's that's a fair question, Jeff, because uh, as we were testing, we noticed that it's it's pretty difficult to navigate the park to begin with, let alone when you have a phone in front of your face. Sure. Um, so we've made an effort to really like uh, to move, the, the, to have the game located in kind of these corners of the park, not in like the main thoroughfares. And so hopefully it's a means of kind of eliminate some of those traffic jams and also getting uh, people to kind of get off of the beaten path a little bit and, yeah. and find these cool kind of interesting, um, I don't know, detours uh, uh, throughout Disneyland. 
So it is a game of sorts. Is there any type of a high score that they can achieve or any any type of prizes that they can earn? You know, I think the biggest prize, right, that we'd want is, uh, of, of course, we want you to be able to defeat Lafitte, right, um, yeah. and overcome uh, his uh, his band of pirates. But ultimately, we want you to just have fun and think more about uh, the stories around you. So it's not so much about accumulation of points. It's that, um, did I get to see my... F- favorite theme park in a new way? Did I see it through a new kind of lens? Um, did I find new stories that I didn't realize were, that were here before um, uh, through playing the game? Well, I can guarantee you people are going to love having something to distract them from the long lines <laughs> that are usually, you know, usually accompany a trip to Disneyland. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned a few of them already in particular on the ride and around Pirates of the Caribbean. Any other favorites that you have from the park, little-known things that people might not know, or like, you know, oh, this is where you can see Mickey hidden on this ride or that ride. What mm-hmm. are some some hidden gems that you can share with us? Well, let's see. Um, there's a, an often-discussed uh, uh, tomb, it looks like, on, on the banks of the, the river in Frontierland um, with a mysterious kind of uh, uh, plaque uh, that— uh, according to this tomb, so there's lots of speculation among Disney fan communities on what that that yeah. this artifact could be attributed to, and so that does play a part in our game. Um, so you'll have to look for that as you're playing. I I think a, another big part is when we visit Tomorrowlands. There's actually a number of attractions that are no longer operating in Tomorrowland. They just kind of function as scenery now, and so our game uh, pays attention to what used to be the Rocket Rods, for example, or the Observatron. These kind of uh, the Carousel of Progress. These uh, attractions that have like a long history within the park, but and are still on display, but are no longer operating. And so um, those uh, attractions also kind of like play a little bit of part in the narr- like the story that we're telling there. So. Take note, Benjamin mentioned a strange little ride called the Rocket Rods. I had to look this up the other day. Uh, it was only open for a little more than two years before they just threw in the towel with all of the maintenance problems that they were having. Yeah, I was there the day that they reopened Tomorrowland and they introduced Rocket Rods supposed to be the fastest ride in the park. I stood in line for three hours, and boy, was I disappointed. I wish I would have had something like this to make it a better experience. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really too bad. You know, they replaced uh, the People Mover, which was kind of like I a, love the this mover. mode of future transportation, right? Right. Uh, that was, had been in the park for a number of years. They replaced it with um, the Rocket Rods to be more of kind of a thrill ride. But what they didn't realize is that when you take a slow-moving track and then introduce a fast-moving vehicles on it, uh, it creates problems, like mechanical problems. <laughs> so it broke down so much in those two years that they had to eventually shut it down. But you'll notice as you visit Tomorrowland today, all of the tracks are still there, um, yeah. and they just haven't uh, done anything new with them. And so that uh, that's something, uh, kind of a little Easter egg there. The People Mover was like the go-to, let's go on this while we let the other lines die down a bit. That's right. You know? <laughs> cool off a little bit, take a sip of your, you know, Dole Whip or whatever. And, and not use our legs because, it, you know, right. you're just walking on this conveyor belt, yeah. right? So I'm thinking about California Adventure now. Do you do you foresee uh, wanting to have a, a version of this game made for California Adventure? And then second part of that question 
Do you see any other applications for this game in other places? You know, um, I think California Adventure would be an interesting place to do it, especially as they kind of expand this Marvel universe and this Pixar right. peer. You know, they're always growing. I think the fact that they're uh, adding to Disneyland with this new kind of Star Wars land, there's also opportunity there to, to do something interesting. Though I think most of the... Um, uh, enthusiasm around the game is the fact that the game takes things that are very already very familiar to us because we've grown up with the Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted Mansion, these, these attractions that have existed for decades, and it uh, makes them new again. And so in some ways, you know, go ride the Guardians of the Galaxy. Nothing needs to make that thing new. It's, it's a lot of fun as it is, though um, uh, this game does, I think, benefit us in kind of returning to those attractions that we wrote as kids, to the stories that we've always heard growing up that Disney's told us, and kind of seeing them through a new perspective. So um, while, like, I don't think there's plans to do this within California Adventure, I'd be really interested in, for example, visiting Disney World or even some other theme parks um, in which we encounter really familiar stories, but the game might allow the uh, players to see it through kind of a new perspective and find new hidden stories like within them. Yeah, but if you did that, you'd have to go to Disney World another half a dozen it times. Would be tough. And... I know. I, somehow I'd make it work. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Um, and by the way, you mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy. It's a little bit of a sore spot for me. I'm sure it's great, but the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror <laughs> was my favorite ride at California Adventure. See, that's what I'm talking about. And you can still go to, to ride it in, in Disney World, can't you, Jeff? Is that's that... true, and it moves in that that's one. That's right. And so there's yeah. still the opportunity, though. I have to say, Guardians might be one of my new favorites. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, I believe it. I'm sure it's very entertaining. So uh, I just have a few more questions here. First of all, just in as a way to sum up, what is it that you hope users of this app, Dark Ride Disneyland, will take away from the experience? Well, you know, I uh, I totally appreciate the love that so many people in our community have for Disney. I think that so many of us were kind of raised on Disney movies that we fondly remember our uh, visits to the park. Um, and uh, and I, I'm a big fan of Disney myself. Something that I've realized in my own kind of studies of fans, though, is that uh, the best fans aren't fans that simply are cheerleaders for their favorite things. You like the Dodgers. There's a good chance that while you're watching a game, you're not just like clapping, but you're also saying, why are they doing that? What's oh, going yeah. on behind the scenes? Like, what, what, why that play and not another play, right? Sure. And, and I think that we have the opportunity as fans of Disney and of like media and pop culture to do the same things, right? That oftentimes we can ask like, wait, what's going on behind the scenes? Why do they tell this story in this way or, and not this story instead? And I would hope that um, this game would give Disney fans the opportunity to do same, some of the same things about the park. Hey, where, where do these ideas come from? Who made these things? Why do they make them in these ways? Are there other ways that they could be made? Are there other ways that people understand this? Um, one of the most fascinating experiences is that as uh, a bunch of BYU students who are predominantly white, you know, we're going into Adventureland and kind of seeing how these cultures from different worlds are being represented um, in Adventureland. And uh, and it's a small world. And it's a small world. That's right. <laughs> um, and then as we make the game, we were interacting with people from some of these cultures that are represented. And they're saying, you know, we're not really comfortable with how that uh, that shows off our culture. Interesting. You know? And so uh, hopefully, like, through making the game, some of our students, and hopefully through playing the game, some of the public will see, like, oh, actually, th- these uh, these some of these stories deserve to be questioned, deserve to be thinked about a little bit uh, harder than what we're accustomed to when we visit the park. You know, this made me think of uh, 
the execs or the the higher ups at Disney, what was their response when you came to them with this idea? You know, we've done this completely independent of Disney. Um, oh, we've, yeah, we've worked with uh, 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 BYU as an institution to make sure that we're in the clear legally as far as sure. um, creating a game within the park. We don't use any of BYU or of uh, Disney's intellectual property, so you won't see Mickey as one of our characters right. or anything like that. You know, um, our our characters are pirates and robots and historical figures and fairies and things like that. Very much in kind of in the same line of like the stories being told in the park. Uh, but we are curious as to what uh, Disney might have to say about this. I think in some respect, pe- people are concerned because they think, oh, well, are you kind of criticizing Disney and how they're doing things? And we're saying we're not quit- criticizing as much as we are doing the things that fans have always done, questioning and and uh, and, and trying to figure things out, right? And so I am, I, I am hopeful that um that this that the fact that we're engaged in a type of like active playful learning that i think Walt Disney was definitely a fan of in his own work and that he encouraged in his audiences i i'm hopeful that disney would see what we're doing as uh, ultimately like kind of serving the cause that they're also interested in mickey take note i think i i'm sensing some big bucks coming his way once disney knows what they're doing and and see how much people are <laughs> loving it and i'm predicting that um, so Dark Ride Disneyland, when does it come out? When can people access it? Is it going to cost a certain amount of money? Dark Ride Disneyland, it's a free educational app, what? right? So it will wow. be available for your iPhones on the app store this holiday season. We're really excited. We're just putting the last few tweaks on it before our launch. Um, and we're excited to be able to introduce it to the public. We've got a chance as a team to play it quite a bit in the park and have uh, a lot of fun with it. And we're looking forward to seeing how everyone else uh, enjoys it as well. You know, if you're looking for any more beta testers, this would be a great excuse for me to take my family to Disneyland, and I could justify it to That's my right. wife. That's right. We can make that work, right, yeah. Jeff? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just in closing, I just want to ask you a few for a few of your favorites regarding Disneyland. So first of all, this isn't Disneyland-related, but it is Disney-related. What is your favorite Disney movie? Oh, that's a tough one. I know I'm putting you on the spot I a know. Bit. That's, that's, there's so many to choose from. Oh, that's hard. Uh, let's see. Okay, I think I have an answer. Okay. All right. I think my favorite is probably The Nightmare Before Christmas. That was an often-watched movie really? growing up. Um, I know it's a, it's a little bit different from some of the Disney classics that people often think of. Um, but honestly, I love it. And I love uh, every um, October in Disneyland when they make over the Haunted Mansion with um, the Nightmare Before Christmas characters. Absolutely. I, I think that's just like such a fantastic job. Something that we're kind of doing in the game itself, right? We're giving like a new yeah. story on top of these existing rides. I think that they do, did a great job putting that nightmare stuff in the Haunted Mansion. It's pretty awesome. Okay, question two. You mentioned the turkey leg already, but what is your favorite food item at Disneyland? I think you've got to go with the Dole Whip. I think that's... Oh, I think a lot of people would be right there with you. And I, do you guys know the secret to the Dole Whip? I, I don't know if you're aware of this. There's always a long line... Absolutely. On the, ...on the exterior, like as you, the, the entrance to Adventureland, waiting for the Dole Whip. What you need to do is go through the turnstile into the <gasps> waiting area for the Tiki Room. That's right. There's a second line in there that's always so much shorter... Hop in there, get your Dole Whip, and you can actually take your Dole Whip into the Tiki Room that's allowed there. So. You know, I think we should edit that part out because we don't <laughs> want to make that line any bigger. Okay, and then the last question. Obviously, this game involves different rides and the history of, of different parts of the park. What is your favorite ride at Disneyland? 
I I think that you can't beat Pirates of the Caribbean. Wow. Yeah, I think Interesting. that I think that, and especially this is I'm a I'm a, a teacher, I'm a scholar of media and film. I think that um, while there's so many rides that provide fun experiences throughout the park, Pirates of the Caribbean does a great job at telling a story while you're also on the ride. And so next time you're on Pirates of the Caribbean, try to figure out what story be, what story is being told. There's uh, there's some there's some interesting things going on in there. It's beautifully designed. It's a fun time. It's so nostalgic. We've all kind of grown up, I think, with uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. First the ride and now the movies is like kind of part of our culture. Um, go in and, and try to figure out what stories are being told. I think that's, uh, that's a fun one. And you'll get a different story depending on when you rode the ride because that's the one they're always, always changing. always changing. That's right. Yep. <laughs> well, we've been speaking with Professor Benjamin Thevenin. He is the director of the project that will soon be Dark Ride Disneyland. So exciting. And get this, it's free. And he just shared with you the probably the greatest secret of them all, how to get your pineapple Dole Whip faster. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we return, we're going to continue the fun here on Screen Cleaning. We'll be right back. song brings back so many good memories. Now, speaking of annoying songs, we talked earlier on the program about Baby Shark. Some might consider It's a Small World, after all, an annoying song. I personally don't because I mainly associate it with such positive things in my life. Nostalgia is a powerful thing. That's right. And we just enjoyed speaking with Professor Ben Thevenin, who told us about his new app called Dark Ride Disneyland. Check it out the next time you go to Disneyland. You know, you may not see everything that you didn't know about Disneyland on that app, and that's why we've invited Mickey Randall to kind of give us a little bit more uh, of a peek behind the curtain of some of the rides that, alas, are no longer at Disneyland or Disney World or any of the Disney uh, If you're parks. nostalgic for the kinds of things you had as a kid, you might not be able to uh, fulfill that because they change their rides sometimes. <laughs> okay, so let me take you back to the year 2001. The year I graduated high school. Right. The year of the Space Odyssey. <laughs> exactly. Also the grand opening of <laughs> Disneyland's California Adventure. Yes. Ooh. So the idea behind this whole park was that people were would take a trip to California, they'd go to Disneyland, and then they would spend the rest of their trip seeing famous California things like the Hollywood Walk of Fame or the Golden Gate Bridge, whatever. And Disneyland decided we want people to stay at Disneyland for their whole trip. So this theme park is going to be California-themed. Yes. And as a part of that <laughs> theme... We need to have Hollywood stuff. Sure. So they, the Imagineers created this ride called Superstar Limo. I read, I rode on it at least once. See, the idea, you probably wrote on one iteration of it. The idea was for it to be a roller coaster and kind of the celebrities uh, peek out at you and the paparazzi are chasing you mm. <laughs> as you're on the way to your movie premiere. However, around the same time... Princess Diana died uh, yes. as a result of the paparazzi. So that whole idea had to be yep. scrapped, Changed yep. up. Um, which I think 
was probably appropriate. That's an idea for a future show. Things, real world events that change the world of entertainment. Around 2001, there was another event that happened in America that changed a lot of ways that television and movies treated the city of New York Mm -hmm. specifically in that skyline. So I've been on both versions of this ride because it was that Hollywood ride, but now it's Monsters, Inc. And I'm pretty sure they kept the same track and then just put in the new characters. A lot of the same robots, too. Yeah. Stuff (laughs) like the robot that used to be Whoopi Goldberg is now in a yellow Monsters, Inc. That's funny. Yeah, it is funny. Wow. Now, another favorite one that I have that used to be there was called Extraterrestrial Alien Encounter. Okay. So the original idea for this was to be based on the movie Alien. Yes. And they wanted it to be scary. Disneyland. At Disneyland. Yeah. They said, this is going to be a (laughs) PG-13 ride. It's going to be scary. Somehow George Lucas gets involved. Oh, boy. Here we go. Right. And so they create this kind of generic scary alien ride Hmm. and you don't move very much you just kind of sit there and it rumbles and then an alien comes and it feels like it's going to get you and you spray with water and it was apparently pretty scary maybe a little too scary Ah. it was changed to stitches great adventure something like that stitches great escape okay now i didn't go to extra extra terrestrial and this is at disney world by Mm -hmm. the way but I did ride – I did do the Lilo and Stitch one, and I kind of wished that they would go back to the Alien one because this one was yeah, pretty Yeah, I've been on it too, and it's not fun. But yeah. I have heard that Stitch is only open seasonally now because no one liked it. Oh, and they, they spray out like these horrible odors at you. Yeah, not oh. very fun. Okay, what's but the what's the other one? Here's one that I do think is fun. So when Disneyland first opened in the 50s, they have this lagoon, and they had a ride called the Phantom Boats. I don't know why it's called the Phantom Boats. It's just boats that you could actually drive around. Cool. But they kept Pumper over cars, but boats. Exactly. That yeah. sounds awesome. Yeah. But they kept overheating, and people would get stuck, and it just wasn't worth it. Mm. But they still have this lagoon, and it eventually becomes submarine voyage, <gasps> and then it becomes twenty thousand leagues under the sea. Yes. And then finally, you can now ride the same ride. Finding Nemo. That's right. Adventure. See, I've been on all of those rides except the uh, the bumper boats, I think. We loved it. We went on it even before it was Finding Nemo, back when nobody rode on it. Mm-hmm. So, Mickey, I understand in addition to these discontinued rides, you have a couple of trivia questions for Cole and myself. I do. Let's see if you can get them. Okay. Cole and I are going to work fair. together. I could probably do it most on my own, but we don't want to leave Cole out in the cold. One of us is a little bit more of a Disneyland right. and Disney World expert than the other but because I one of us that. has actually been to Disneyland. Well, and and Disney I'm from Anaheim, to be fair. Oh, I didn't know that. I yeah. did know Cole's never been to Disneyland, so I, they are a little bit easier. Okay. Nice. Here we go. Okay, number one. There are five Disneylands total. Okay. Where are they all located? Cole, what do you know? And I'll chip in if Anaheim I Anaheim and Orlando, right? Yes. Uh, f- France? Yes. yes. Paris. Disneyland Paris. Japan? Yes. <gasps> and something else. I don't know. Gosh. I think that's all I got. I, Where else yeah, would I put one? Tokyo was was the only other one I knew and you got it. So 
It'd be fun uh, to have one in Sydney, Australia, maybe. Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> no. Hong Kong. Oh, uh, right, of course. Sense. Yeah. Yeah, I they love known that. Disney there. Okay. okay. Um, what was the first full-length Disney movie to be released? Full-length animated? Yes. That would be Snow, Snow White, White and the, the Seven, Seven Dwarfs. Correct. Dwarfs. 1937, I believe. Yes. Cool. See, Cole, you knew that. Good old Disney. I, I can do Disney. Okay, so that was in the 30s. All right. But do you know what year did Disneyland open? Oh, it was in the 50s. So Lander right. World, I remember I was watching the Rose Parade a few years ago, and they were celebrating their 50th anniversary, and I said, hey, Mom and Dad, you guys are really old because you're older than Disneyland. So it would, let's say, 54. Five? It's somewhere between wow. 50 and 55. It was 55. Yeah. July so, 17th, yep. 1955. My parents were born in 53 and 54, and it was fun for me to yeah. make fun of them for being old. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What does Disney call the employees that are in charge of designing and building the attractions at all of the parks? Mm, I know. I think I, I do. don't. Imagineers? Correct. They yes. are Imagineers. Oh, that's cute. Coveted job title. I bet it's hard to get. <laughs> Okay. Disney... I just do roller coaster tycoon. Call myself the tycoon. The Imagineer of, of, the, <laughs> yes. of the roller coaster. Sure. Time. Okay. Disneyland is planning on opening a new area in summer of this year. Oh yeah. What is the theme of that area? Cole, you know this. Is it Star Wars? Yeah, it is. It's okay. called Star Wars. They don't Wars. already have a Star Wars? Gal- they had a Star Wars ride okay. called Star Tours. Oh, but they're opening up a whole new... The whole, and I'm sh- it looks awesome from the website. Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is the title. You can ride the Millennium Falcon. Do they already have summer. a Marvel World as well? No, but I'm sure... Because that'll be next. Yeah. Years and years down. This is so exciting. Yay! Star Wars Land. Now the <laughs> ticket prices to Disneyland will soar higher than the rocket right. jets in Tomorrowland. You like that? Sure. Okay. If I under if I'd been to Disneyland, I might have understood what you were <laughs> saying better. Well, Mickey, thank you so much. You are so so welcome. I feel like I know more about my basically second home. I went there so many times growing up. Now I have an insight onto Jeffrey's uh, growing up. His That's right. Formative years. So earlier on in the program, Rod Gustafson shared with us a review of the new film On the Basis of Sex about the life of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And when we return, we're going to revisit this very interesting person for our Panning for Good segment. This is Screen Cleaning. There's good in them dire hills. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. As you know, we like to end each and every show with our Panning for Good segment, where we do our darndest to shine an even closer spotlight on something that is noteworthy, something that we really think you ought to check out. And something you may have missed this week. Right. And, you know, 2018 didn't just bring us one story about... Ruth Bader Ginsburg in the form of the film On the Basis of Sex, you may have remembered that earlier on in 2018, 
there was a documentary about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And Cole, I understand you've seen this film. I did, and I loved it. 2018 was a landmark year in my life for documentaries. There were so many that were good, and RBG was one of them. As I listened to Rod talk about the plot for On the Basis of Sex, how it kind of lives in this one case that she took on when she was young, I recognized what he was talking about because I'd seen the documentary of that event. Um, It starts off when she's a young girl and then tracks all the way through now as her being one of the senior members of the Supreme Court. She is one of the oldest members because she was put on the court at at an older age than you would normally want someone that's going to live this lifetime uh, serve. But it's a it's a just a very good documentary and it kind of analyzes how her younger fans also kind of gravitate toward her as as a liberal icon and as a feminist icon and it's it's really fascinating and it's rated PG i understand it's too. A, it is rated PG there's nothing crazy it's just a documentary about a lawyer turned supreme court justice and her amazing life So this is amazing. If you have not been a fan of documentaries or if you've never seen a documentary, this year, 2018, I should say, is a great year to start with. You mentioned RBG, Won't You Be My Neighbor, Free Solo, and we could go on. Oh, uh, Three uh, Three Identical identical Strangers strangers was one of my favorites. Start with 2018 and then maybe keep watching them. They pop up on Netflix all the time and there are some good ones there too. And RBG right now, I was able to watch it on Hulu. So it's streamable right now. So that's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. Next week, we're going to talk about another set of films that maybe you don't pay too much attention to. A different category at the Oscars as well. Absolutely. And that is the foreign language film. That's going to be next week here on Screen Cleaning. 